Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars study a scripture passage uh, relevant to the season we're in. This is episode 209, and we hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing lessons or sermons on the passage at hand. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And my guest this week is DJ Coleman. DJ is a evangelist and preacher and pastor, but now is serving uh, newly this year as a professor of practical theology here at Indiana Wesleyan University. So he's one of my colleagues here at the university, but a deeply experienced uh, minister of the gospel and so glad to have him on the show again. He was on once before back in uh, uh, August or September. We, we talked about Psalm 51 together and he was a lovely guest. So I'm so glad to have him back on. Hope he will be a regular going forward. And our text this week is Matthew 4, uh, verses 12 through 23. Matthew 4, 12 through 23. While you're listening today, if you find yourself enjoying the show, uh, just press the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass this show along to others so that they'll find out about it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and find ways that you can support the show there. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with DJ. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 23. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, (laughs) to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The word of the Lord. Let's uh, let's say a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks uh, for your word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And as we follow his story, follow his movement from Judea uh, into Galilee, and from Nazareth to Capernaum, and the movement of his disciples, his first followers, away from their nets, away from their boats, and following him. So as we follow his movement, Lord, may your spirit guide us that we may see him, behold him, hear him as he's moving now in our place and in our time. We ask that you would do this for us in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 
Hey, so what do you notice here? What stands out to you in this in this particular story? Or I don't know, maybe maybe it's a set of stories, yeah. kind of a cluster of events at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Yeah, well, we could start at the beginning. You got John getting arrested yeah. in prison, um, and then Jesus withdrawing. Yeah, and you have the leaving Nazareth going to Capernaum. You have this passage from Isaiah that Matthew is using maybe to signify to the reader, hey, this is th- these events aren't just random, mm-hmm. but this is something God is orchestrating. This is something God has had in mind or have, has planned from the beginning. But also this signal from Matthew that Jesus' ministry is going to the Gentiles. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot, lot there. Yeah, in there's so much part. packed in that. Yeah. I mean, there's so many place names right out of the gate. Right. That it's like he really wants, seems like Matthew really wants us to, and, and I'm thinking of one of the other famous citations of scripture mm-hmm. that Matthew has back in chapter two. And again, that can feel a little random. Even the quote can feel a little random out of Egypt. I called my son right. as referencing this movement from Egypt back into Israel. And then a second one that's he, and he shall be called a Nazarene. So like, this is a continuing theme that like sure. the places where Jesus goes, all of this was mapped out. Like you said, it's not random. Right. It's all according to a messianic map, as it were. <laughs> right. And speaking of map, I mean, like you said, there's so many places right <laughs> yeah. here, so many geographic places that are mentioned. Yeah, like even the lectionary leaves off 24 and 25, probably because there's so many dang place names that it's a little hard to read in public, (laughs) you know, in church. Sure. But then you get like Sidon and Syria and the Decapolis. Right. All the way from Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan. So there's a lot of the story, yeah, starts and ends with place names. There's a lot of movement, yeah. But I think you highlighted something specific that there was that this light to the Gentiles. Right. That it's not just. This was the place, right? It's and just, it's all according to plan. It's a it, the plan has a purpose. It's right. about the inclusion of the excluded. So it's this this place of Galilee that is part of Israel, but is also not. It overlaps with the nations. Right. You know these other right. Yeah, there's. I mean, I remember when I first started following Jesus, and I could be wrong about this, but early on, I remember hearing people tell me. I don't adhere to this anymore, but okay. I just remember, I don't know if this is com- a common you know, idea that Matthew was written to the Jews. And I remember the rationale behind that was there's all these Old Testament passages in Matthew. And reading it now, I kind of always kind of remember having heard that kind of growing up with the text, but thinking, man, there's a lot of, it would have been difficult for, and possibly could have been difficult um, for Jewish followers of Jesus to hear this intense kind of focus to the Gentiles. Possibly, I don't know. But there's this intentional focus to the Gentiles, and I think Matthew is kind of portraying that here. Yeah, right out from the gate at the beginning. Yeah, I wonder if yeah, you're right. That is commonly said. Is that, is that something that is commonly well, it, said? I don't know. Absolutely. Don't know. Okay, it's said all the time, okay. <laughs> right? But whether it's, you know, I think it requires some nuance because right. in a good way, let me, let me put it this way. The very reason that that's going to be a difficult message for some Jews mm-hmm. is certain prejudices that are themselves built into our statement that this book was written 
for right. Jews. Like that's right. that's still us assuming that there's this clear partition. Right. There's this thing called Jews, and we know where they live and right. where they go to church. Right. <laughs> and there's exactly. ones who aren't. And of course, that's exactly what Matthew and more importantly Jesus is disrupting. Sure. <laughs> that right. that there would have been all kinds of Jews who outside of Israel were very Greek in the way they were living and thinking. Mm-hmm. The stinking book is written in Greek. Right. It's not written right. in, in, in like Hebrew, Hebrew or Aramaic. Right. Who maybe some Jews back in Palestine thought weren't thought weren't real Jews, right? So there's not For just sure. an issue of Jews and non. There's also right. who counts, who's real, right? Really Jewish, and of course, races have a tendency to do this, right? Sure. Are you like, right. you know, are you white enough? Are you black enough? Right? These are games that we play with each other For sure. to draw lines right. arbitrarily based on often cultural signifiers that are moving targets, right? Right. Do you like the music I like? Do you dance the way I dance? These things. And yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's N.T. Wright that says that it could be Michael Bird, but that Matthew is like a apologetic, mm. um, for, for Jewish people, Jewish Christians or Jewish followers of Jesus, helping them to understand why this seemingly Jewish our Judaism has kind of been taken on by so mm. many Gentiles, so many, you know, yeah. <laughs> non-Jewish people. If it started with 12 Jewish people, Jesus, who is Jewish, how is it, you know, later on where you have all these Gentiles that are Christian? That's a really like, that's a much, I think, more nuanced way of putting it. Right. Because that, because of course the audience for that could be anyone. Because it also could be Gentiles or, right. or who they don't think of themselves because perhaps again they may have become part of the synagogue first right as god fearers right which was actually quite common <laughs> judaism people were fascinated in the ancient world by judaism it was right. a fascinating religion of people it had a lot of curiosity not that it was massive droves but there were enough and we know there's clear evidence from other parts of scripture that christianity made inroads in those kind of borderline communities those people who lived on that that margin between mm-hmm. those spaces between right uh, I mean, you could imagine if you yourself had a Jewish mother and a Syrian or right. Turkish father, you think right? Like Timothy or something. I mean, like he, right? he kind of fits that mold, right? Boy, the first time Christianity comes to town, that's actually pretty attractive. So here, all of a sudden, is a way of continuing to honor your Jewish heritage, but in a way that doesn't make you feel so other than this other side of you. Exactly. I don't know. So I, <laughs> so I, I feel like. Matt, whatever Matthew's narrow intent, I, I, and I, I actually, I'm actually convinced by, I don't know if I'm convinced. I've been entertaining Richard Balcom's, he has a book called, okay. you're familiar with this book, yeah. The Gospels for Everyone? Yeah. Uh-huh. He tries to argue that the gospel writers were not writing for single audiences. They were sure. writing for anybody who might read this, okay. even non-Christians. Like, okay. So that this is a genre meant to have a wide audience. Okay. And he's kind of correcting that tendency of modern scripture studies to kind of I think we've had try to find what the evangelist, which has is. been so helpful, but maybe has been an overcorrection from the historic way of taking the gospels as having a broad audience. You know, is that is that common in the first century? Did authors write in that way? I, I, don't I mean, that's know. what he, he tries to make a case. This the genre of the gospels. Genres are written in for, in the genre of a biography, which would have an audience. They wouldn't be a code language for one little community. They would sure. be meant for broad consumption of anyone who is interested in this person. 
Okay. I don't know. I, don't, I think yeah, he no, might be, again, he might be overcorrecting the other but, way. But. but to me, even, I mean, I would need to read the book. Yeah. But even if that were the case, they are still portraying Jesus a certain way. Absolutely. Yeah. Know, no. So. Yeah. No, I think paying attention to the uniqueness of each right each gospel writer is absolutely essential you have it's to do just that. you yeah, can overdo that, that to right. where you're like well matthew's for jews well i'm not jewish so is matthew right, not for me is right, the risk right. that sure that we play that makes sense and because you could also i mean i'm just being silly now but you're right all these place names mm-hmm. is alienating but of course it could be a great way for someone who's new to all this to learn about it sure yeah <laughs> and then vice versa the gentile inclusion might be what's alienating sure for a Jewish audience. So they're basically, there's something here to bother everyone. Right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So what about John in prison? Here? That's exactly what I wanted to Jesus talk heard about. That John had been put in prison. He withdrew to Galilee. Yeah. So it's implied because we know from the immediate previous section, he was in the desert of Judea on the other side of Jordan when he gets mm-hmm. baptized. And then there's the temptation scene. Mm-hmm. So even though it doesn't reference Judea, it's moving from Judea up to Galilee. Right. And I'm struck by the word choice here, just to geek out for a moment. So the verb, it's, so if I were to just translate it like, like just totally woodenly stiff, it'd be uh, hearing now that John was handed over. Right. That's it. It's one word. Right. Was handed over. Yeah. It doesn't say like put in prison. Right. There's no noun there. He withdrew into Galilee. So I want to. That that verb again, I think it's it's the right translation. That's what that right. means. But this is the word that gets translated later about Judas betraying Jesus, mm-hmm. handing him over. Okay. Or Jesus' three predictions of his death that he that the Son of Man will be handed over right. to the Gentiles to be this and that and this, right? Right. So th- this is a a loaded word. Sure. Later it's an in the gospel word for Matthew. Perhaps, yeah, that he's been it's a Anticipation, because the same thing's going to happen to Jesus at the end of the story. He's right. going to get handed over. Well, that so by the Jews, Jewish well, leaders to the Gentiles. <laughs> well, if you think about Jesus, is not trying to save his life because mm. he essentially is preaching the same thing John the Baptist is preaching. Yes, it's the oh, same. that's perfect. <laughs> yes, know? so word for word, actually, word for <laughs> word. So, so the, it, it makes sense that they have the same fate. If John exactly. the Baptist is handed over for priest, but also so telling that he withdraws, so he doesn't want to get handed over yet. Right. I, I think of a phrase that's only in John, but applies in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is "My time has not yet come." Yeah, somewhat good. implied here. This kind of well, it's not yet my time. Right. But it would have natural for him to become John's successor down south right. in Judea. Sure. And the word "withdraw," he could have just said "went," but he withdrew. He's retreating. Uh, yeah, He's like. The, yeah. And the narrative, I mean, when you compare Matthew and Luke, they, when they're quoting someone, they tend to be very close. And when they're narrating, they tend to be very different. So you know that Matthew and Luke ha- felt free when mm-hmm. they're narrating to use the words that they wanted to use to draw right. your attention. Right. So, I mean, Jesus is retreating. Right. He's withdrawing. I mean, he's not staying and fighting. Right. He is fighting, but he's, he's moving the advance of the kingdom or the, the proclamation of that advance back home, back up north, further away from danger, I think. I think that's implied. Maybe not. Avoiding? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of weird because usually I'm, I tend you to not want to think that You don't want to think about Jesus as avoiding something. Yeah. But if we think of it as a timing question, he's just getting started. 
Hmm. It's not you yet know, time. That's interesting. I could be wrong, but. Well, I think it's oftentimes in Christianity, because you have these passages about not denying Jesus and, and facing mm. persecution. And you have, obviously, the early church martyrs. Mm-hmm. There are, of course, martyrs today. But I'm thinking specifically about the early church martyrs. There's this sense of almost this desire for persecution amongst <laughs> Christians. And, and even to say like, oh, we're being persecuted or we're facing persecution. And it's not something to flee from or to run from. And so it, it's hard. I think that's maybe some of your, the difficulty of saying Jesus yeah. avoided or was fleeing this this difficulty. Obviously, we're saying that he is has in mind the ministry that God has for him. It's not his time that there's more for him to do. Um, strategic retreat. Yeah, it's a strategic yeah. retreat. But <laughs> a strategic retreat. So for us, what when are times for us to yeah. strategically retreat and avoid persecution or avoid difficulty in ministry? And I like, you know, there's this uh, definition of leadership. I think it's of leadership, but regardless, it's, um, the ability to disrupt people at a rate that they can handle. <laughs> I love that. It might not be disrupt, but to disrupt or, you know, at a rate that they can handle. And it's, it's this idea of knowing where you want to go, but being aware of there's a time, there's a place, there's a way. Um, you have to be strategic in those ways. And so, yeah, I, I like seeing Jesus being strategic in this regard and saying, okay, now's not my time. I'm going to retreat. I'm going to strategically retreat, avoid this persecution that John is experiencing, and go find some people to call to to engage Mm. in ministry. (laughs) Perfect transition. Let's take a break and come back and explore that. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, DJ Coleman, and we are looking at Uh, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. How about, let me read just 18 to 23, just to get that fresh in our ears and kind of focus on that second half for a little bit now. So while Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. May God add blessing to his word. Yeah, so we get Jesus here calling these first four disciples. What stands out to you as you look at that part of this this passage here? 
Yeah, well, we, we kind of used that word random early on, and it's ah. not random. It's There's intentionality. But here, it, it seems random. It does seem random. <laughs> As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, right? So that, that kind of seems random to me. Who are these two people? Now, obviously, this is being written much later. It's not like someone's following Jesus and writing all this down mm-hmm. as he's going about. All four of these guys by now were famous people. They were exactly. Who would have probably been heard as preachers by the first right. readers of the text. Yeah. Right. So we know these people, but how did Jesus know them? Yeah. You know, like, we know them. We, you know, they're famous preachers now. But how did how did Jesus identify these people? Was it that simply they were fishermen and he thought, man, for the ministry that God is calling me, this seems right. What's interesting to me is this is in alignment with what God does. If you mm. think about Moses, who is Moses, right? I mean, well, he has this unique story, but essentially he's, you know, a shepherd, really. I mean, he's just, yeah. there's nothing really significant about Moses, but God calls him, and and he has this incredible ministry leading the people out of Egypt. And then you look at David. Who is David? He is just a shepherd, right? But God calls him, and we see a beautiful ministry. Well, somewhat beautiful. <laughs> well, <laughs> through, yeah. through David. Moses had a few rough spots, too. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Peter and Andrew, right? Do they have any nobility, or do they have anything about them that should make them remarkable? Not really, but that's kind of what God does. And I, and I think that's kind of an interesting thing for us to think about. The people that Jesus calls were common. Yeah. And, and that's significant. You know, when he's, when he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of heaven, he's doing that alongside common fishermen. Yes. Yeah, I think, boy, even just what you pointed out there that his preaching ministry had already begun, I think is very important. Mm -hmm. So they do know, I mean, they don't know all that this entails following him, Mm -hmm. but they do know that he's a preacher. He's already on the scene, right? Right. It's verse 17 where he's preaching and then verse 18 where he's calling, right? But but that's all we get. All we know is he's gotten started. His message is the same as John the Baptist. I mean... Mm -hmm. I don't want to go here. I'm going to leave, I'm going to say this and then leave it aside. But <laughs> when you said earlier, like, how did he know them? You can tell why John's gospel wants to like fill in those gaps for us, you know, where it's kind of like, well, actually right. these guys were John Baptist fans and they met right. they're down there first. Right. Well, right. then that creates the confusion of wait, when, when did he call him then? Or exactly. that, well, so I don't right. want to go there yet, if ever, right. but I do just want to say you can, even what your comment showed, why that question would have been asked in answer in the early times and why you know these multiple gospels are kind of Mm -hmm. often answering questions that are being raised at Mm -hmm. least in the community if not even if the books didn't know about each other but other than that one little piece of evidence over there you know he doesn't have a long history with these guys i mean at the very least we know that he didn't grow up with them because this is not capernaum's not his hometown he's from nazareth again we have the citation there dividing that but there is that reminder that that he just moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. Right. And I, I mean, maybe I'm being too speculative here, but how long was he preaching in Capernaum before, <laughs> before he was like, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder yeah, if there's, I mean. if, if he had a ministry going even for a couple months. And I mean, I could, you mentioned Moses earlier. I'm thinking when Moses kind of needed some help and his father-in-law was like, Hey, you should. Right. Like, was it, st- was the ministry starting? Doing- to, yeah. 
Was it starting to build? Yeah, and, I don't know if there's any way of knowing that. Yeah, that's of course, an interesting yeah. question for sure. Because like you say, as it stands in the text right now, it feels a little just random, like just a couple guys right. walking along the sea. And maybe the you know, maybe Matthew doesn't really care to tell maybe that's not important. It seems to not be. Right. Maybe that's not important. Maybe what's important is them leaving everything behind. And he uses mm-hmm. that word, at least in the English. I don't have the Greek text in front of Let's me, but look. immediately in verse 22, which you see all the time in Mark. Yes. But you see it here in Matthew. So this one's really it, fun. There's actually an edit mm-hmm. between Mark and Matthew that's worth pointing out okay. on that very point. <laughs> so Mark, right, immediately follow me. Looking at 17, I'm going to get to that one. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, verse 18, both Mark and Matthew say immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he sees these guys. And then in Mark, it says, and immediately he called them Hmm. and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Whereas Matthew makes two edits. It says, and he called them, drops immediately from that, Mm -hmm. moves it, just two letters over. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Hmm. So he drops the mention of the servants. Right. Not sure why. Maybe that's just a distracting detail or maybe that raises questions like, what kind of, was this, were they wealthy? Were they, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. I'm not sure why he cuts that out, but he does move the immediately. Again, it's possible. I'm guessing it's so that. It's the clear parallel. Both of them leave immediately. Mm-hmm. And perhaps also Matthew didn't understand the point of Jesus immediately calling, calling them. them but, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I guess an interesting that, edit. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an interesting edit, but it's all to me. I, it kind of makes my point. Maybe it, it could it be that the immediacy of them leaving their father, their nets, their economic security to follow this preacher could be the point. I think that's exactly the point. I think it makes your point perfectly because I think in Mark, the immediacy is much more frequent. Right. Matthew cuts quite a few of them because it's just so much. Right. right? It's all the time. And because I think Mark's trying to create an atmosphere of Mm -hmm. immediacy, whereas Matthew wants to just keep the ones that make a point. So by moving it there, he's actually making the point, right? right? Of their choice to immediately follow him. They didn't (laughs) him and haw and dilly dally and which at least for me is much more familiar like well let me (laughs) let me sleep on it is my answer to everything (laughs) yeah and just think (laughs) the audacity of jesus yeah to do that like what what rabbi does that says hey leave your boat and your father and come follow me who does that like i just i mean if you think about a torah observant Mm. jew Mm-hmm. who has heard his entire life to honor his father and his mother. I mean, that was so important. Then you have this rabbi that's saying, hey, leave your father and come follow me. I think that that is an incredible thing. And I think that's a noteworthy thing, maybe something to talk about to for Jesus to say, hey, leave your boats and your father and follow me. And then obviously later on, he's going to say, you know, if you leave, whatever you leave for my sake, you know. You'll receive back. Yeah. Well, what what does he say? You'll receive yeah. back a hundredfold in this life and eternal life in the next or something yeah, like that. Something along wild. those lines. Yeah. Like 
it's basically his mother not, and father and brother and sister. He emphasizes right, it's, the family relation. It's not for not. <laughs> you know, there's there's yeah. a point to it. God is going to reward you. Yeah. So there's three things they end up leaving. Right. Immediate. So three things between all four of them. Simon and Andrew. It says immediately they left their nets mm-hmm. and followed him because they were casting the net into mm-hmm. the sea. Right. And the sons of Zebedee immediately they left the boat and their father. Mm-hmm. And followed him. So we've got nets, boat, father, and it really is. I mean, it's their the means of their economic mm-hmm. life, right? right. Mm-hmm. And their family relationships, which are all, of course, intertwined with one another. You know, this is surely a family business. Right. right. Yeah, this is really, really striking. And I think would have been striking, would continue to have been striking to readers then and has been throughout yeah, which makes me want to ask the question for the first century reader, were the Gospels controversial? <laughs> Not even yeah. for the kingdom aspect, but for this right here, like leaving your father. I would not want my kids reading something like this or, you know, you know <laughs> exactly. like, like what to go follow this man who died and, you know, but like, why, like, how would that have been received in the first century, this call to leave Everything. And then how is, I mean, obviously we know Peter and Andrew, they're heroes now by this point, but how would they have been received, you know, re- like reading this, that they left everything? Is that, is that something that's honorable? Like, I think through our lens, it's like, oh, that's an honorable thing that they did. Yeah. But was that how people received them? And it's was easier it? to say when you... If you imagine yourself to be a follower of Jesus, right, seems like a way to honor me if my child right. <laughs> also follows, right. But of course, if their perception of what it means to follow puts some tension between me and my child, then all of a sudden, right, okay, maybe I disagree with my child's interpretation, but then again, maybe my beef's just with Jesus. <laughs> no, I think it would have been real controversial. Sure, I think it would also been reassuring too for any, like you mentioned earlier, a possible audience of Jewish Christians. Mm-hmm who are feeling this stress, who are feeling ostracized perhaps Mm. uh, from their Jewish roots as well as, uh, but also not, it's not like they're going off and now getting to fit in with great Gentile life either. They're still oddballs, you know? Sure. Right. That's Um, not like a, uh, it's a a Jewish sect to Greek folks at this time. Yeah. Right. It's not a climbing the ladder type of thing. Yes. Right. Yes. It's a step into a margin from, from both of those worlds. Right. So if if they're already feeling a little of that, it's actually kind of assuring to know like, oh, okay, I'm not alone, right? It's mm-hmm. just so, you know how it is uh, when you've made a tough choice. I mean, it was just happening to me last, just earlier this week. There was just something that was just eating me up inside. Mm-hmm. I was talking with Mandy about it and she was reminding me of a time in 2000, was it 19? When she was going through a similar kind of thing. Sure. And just reminding me just how tore up she, I had forgotten actually right. how tore up it was because for her, it was more traumatic. I was just there. For, right. Apparently she said I did a good job. I was there for her or whatever, but listened, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, oh man, that just, honestly, that was the biggest weight off. We talked about six other things, but just knowing right. like, oh yeah. Okay. I'm not the first one right. to have been through this. I mean, I agree that there's, for those who not had yet made this choice, very controversial. For those who have made the choice already, right, reassuring. this would be a moment of reassurance. Like, okay, keep on at it. This is gotcha. the path. This is yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, that that is a helpful way of understanding this. Like, yes, 
there is sacrifice, but look at what Peter and Andrew did. And it's almost like that Hebrews 11 type of kind of reassurance, which was a sermon, Mm -hmm. you know, in in a sense. So this could have had that same impact. Like, okay, I'm in a line of people that have been called maybe even at inconvenient times and had to leave things for what we're going to read as we read, we'll understand is worth, you know, you even think about Paul living a life worthy of your calling, you know, type of thing. Mm. Like they lived a life worthy of this call. So, yeah, I think that is reassuring. Yeah. And he does say in that later passage that you referenced, mm-hmm. nothing that you've given away that you'll receive mm-hmm. in this life. Right. Not just right. let it go now and then you'll get heaven later. And there's this implication yeah. that the family, that there's you're being invited into a new family. Right. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John, these are now your brothers. Right. Your elder brothers. That's good. You're being brought into a new community. What and were you about to say? Well, I just, it's so true. Like when you, you do have to sacrifice when you follow Jesus, there is tremendous sacrifice. And, and I love what my good friend, Paul Taylor Smith says. He, he says, following Jesus will cost you everything you'll never need. <laughs> oh man. Isn't that good? Well, everything you'll never need. And I, I remember the first time I heard him say that, and I was like, man, that's so true. I think about my life and the, the decisions that I've made and to step out on faith and just, yeah, in this life, I've been blessed. And it, it's not always monetary or, you know, things, but, and this is kind of a quote Sarah and I live by, but God's way is the best way. Mm-hmm. And that's what we live by. And so the decisions that we make sometimes require sacrifice, but it is much better in, you know, following Jesus. Well, that'll preach. So let's take a break and come back and explore some sermon starters. Sounds good. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, DJ Coleman, and we are looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Again, kind of all one story, but with different kind of mm-hmm. elements in it. So uh, let's explore some sermon starters. If you were asked to preach this text, again, maybe you were, maybe you picked the text yourself, or maybe it was already selected and you're filling right. in, who knows? <laughs> and you could zoom in, like, like where would you want to go? What, what kind of, what might be your theme or your focus? In a lot of ways, I still don't, I mean, we're still getting to know each other. I don't know how you approach sermon right. prep. So kind of where do you start and how, after you've dug into the text a little bit, how do you take that next step to that transition? So it's not just a ex Jesus report, you know? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. We've all heard those. Yeah. Things, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Which are fun to do, but not fun to listen to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I would probably, I really like the, uh, verse 17 there. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You have that, but then also, um, you know, follow me. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Ah, gosh. And then you have verse 20. And at once they left their nets and followed him. So it's a blend of those. What, what does it look like to repent before you? are going out to do ministry what are those things that where do you need what direction do you need to be going in Hmm. so to me repent is always about direction the kingdom of heaven has come near but then also the come follow me and i will send you out to fish for people those are the two things i would probably start with that that, those are the two things that jump out to me 
And then from there, you just craft in the sermon. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. to think how to play those two off of each other. Because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of that has to do with audience. Like if I am being, I mean, in many ways, I want to imagine the experience of these disciples, sure. these young men imagining they probably had heard Jesus preach mm-hmm. maybe a couple times. Maybe them, maybe they themselves had already started doing some repenting. Right. And now they're being called to the next level, you know, <laughs> to join him. So I, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too philosophical, but there seems to be some, something's happening in this text between the call to repent and the call to follow me. Right. Are those identical? Is there some subtle difference there? I don't know. In, yeah. in terms of preaching, like how do you communicate that? You know, I would probably, if I'm doing a sermon, I'm probably thinking about the universal you know, felt need or this universal reality of distraction. We all get distracted. We get distracted by our phones. We get distracted by all sorts of things. You know, we, we're just constantly get, getting distracted. Our work, our relationships that stress us out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We, we're just constantly a distracted people. And I think what the prophets do, they call us to remember the promises of God I think that's what John the Baptist did. I think that's what Jesus is doing. Yeah. We've been distracted and he's saying, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then, okay, so so now it's acknowledging the fact that we were distracted from what God is calling us to. But then to follow Jesus and joining God in the work that he's doing in the world, bringing redemption and restoration, reconciliation, partnering with God and calling people to do exactly that, to repent, to turn from their distractions and to follow him. And so that's probably how I would handle that. I would start with some, you know, what are, you know, are we a distracted people? And talk about some of those distractions. Yeah, the talk- people dwelling in darkness, verse right. six, right? Yes. This the, is the. Yes. I have seen a great light. And so the light has, has shown or has. It's shining and we see it and we need to go to it. We need to walk toward it. And we don't have to do that alone. Jesus is showing us. He's demonstrating that to us. But then, I don't know, you you might even talk about what are some of the things that you need to leave? Yeah. You know, what are some of the things that you need to leave? So your boat, your nets, and then what relationships may you need to leave possibly you know yeah. you know he's he's saying leave father but that doesn't mean he ceases to be a son and his and Zebedee ceases to be a father surely the relationship might may have looked different but yeah they remain the sons of Zebedee they continue right. to be they called they remain that. the yeah. sons of Zebedee so it's not like they you know cease being you know sons but yeah, I think when Heck, you, Jesus might have stayed at Zebedee's house when they were in Capernaum. They kept coming back to Capernaum. You know? Right. Yeah. But it also may have been a big rift. We really don't know. We don't know. Yeah. But I think just even the language of leaving, there's always this element of leaving. And leaving can be difficult, but I think it's, it's often necessary. Yeah, you mentioned earlier the turn that metanoia, repentance, is always about a turning. It's about the direction Mm -hmm. that you're headed in, right? Mm -hmm. I'm starting to have a visual even in preaching. I often, sometimes when I'm thinking through a sermon, I think about how I can 
make use of the space in which I'm communicating and use my body to kind of right. visualize things, you know, although I could even imagine, maybe this is too cheesy, but I could imagine finding a canoe and sticking it on there, getting yeah. in some nets right. and being there fit with your back to right. the open space on one side of the platform that you're sure. preaching on and repent. Right. You know, so he's, Jesus is out there preaching. Maybe, who knows? Maybe for weeks, months, right. maybe for a long time, he was out there preaching. They're hearing this message right. and they're starting to turn. They're starting to turn. Right. right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but good. once you've turned, right. <laughs> then you got to go. Now you got to follow. Right? right. So then a little bit of a, a two step. And I could imagine even in a sermon, finding a way to say like, maybe you've already woken up a little bit, right. you are turning, but then you start to follow. And it's like, okay, this what am I going to take my boat with me? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Try to carry it. Away. That's good. Maybe I just need to leave it behind. Right. You know, and I mean, ultimately repenting and following Jesus is ultimately all one thing, but in our experience, it often unfolds in steps, you know, there's this book and I'm a, I'm a butcher this, but it's a good book. So I hate to do it to it, but it's called canoeing the mountains. Have you heard of that? Yes. It's, it's yeah. I'm trying to remember the author. I, I, can't, I, I don't know. I've not read it. My, my wife's read it and it's so good. Aaron Perry used it in a class one time was telling me it's how great so it is. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So it's basically Lewis and Clark are these expert canoers and they're wanting to, to go West, but they have to cross the mountains um, and they are prepared to canoe, but you can't canoe over a mountain. So what do you do um, when you're an expert canoeer and you have to go over mountains? You have to get rid of the canoe and you have to figure out how to how to navigate. Subtitle something about adaptive leadership. I yes, think is the exactly. Term. Yeah, okay. it's adaptive leadership. So you have to adapt. Um, so I was you kind of made me think of that with like getting rid of something that you're an expert on, something that you have experience with. Something that gives and these you were comfort. East Coast guys who'd been up Appalachian Mountains. They right. had never seen Rocky Mountains. They had never seen uh, that. <laughs> right. They, so, it's like never. Right. And those little Appalachian Mountains look like little little hills. Exactly. Once you go out west. Exactly. So for us, Adaptive. what are some of the things that you know we might be experts in? We might you know are comfortable with that mm. we might need to leave behind that might be hindering us going back to the Hebrews 11 or I guess Hebrews 12 passage. Now, you know, everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles to get rid of those things and to follow Jesus. I mean, that's the exact same thing. Hebrews 12, throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith for the joy endured the cross Scorning it, shame, and I think the right after that cloud Jesus, of witnesses, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just like these it's, guys, you can to do me it too. it's identical, right? Like Peter and Andrew, those are our cloud of witnesses. They have done this, and we're called to do it as well. And one more thing about repenting: it's so often I this is, if I'm preaching the sermon, I'm always thinking about a paradigm shift in the, the mind of a congregant. Mm. So often we think of repentance as this one-time thing. We've repented, we've turned mm. from sin, and now we're following Jesus. But in, in my life, there are times I need to repent often, you know, daily. <laughs> you know, I need to Every pivot. time you're distracted. Every time I'm <laughs> distracted, I'm like, okay, I need to repent and acknowledge that I was wrong. 
and you you brought it something yesterday or a couple of days ago with you um you know that you were able to comfort someone just yesterday you know I'm, I wasn't feeling well and my wife is amazing you know that she's taking care of me and everything and my son had this uh well, what was it like a Christmas program thing? Couple, mm. you know, and we're sitting in the car, and I was being a little short with with her, and she she said, "Hey, you're being a little rude." And I'm like, "What did I say that was rude?" Now I knew what I said. <laughs> you know? What? And and then and she and she's just so kind and everything. But then because of her kindness, kindness leads to repentance. I was like, ah. Okay, I was rude, you know, and and I needed to repent. I needed to act differently. I needed to change. And it's a daily thing. And so the paradigm shift I would hope to do as a preacher here with this passage is to help people to to understand repentance is a gift that God gives us that we need to to use as as people that are distracted, as as humans that are distracted and to follow Jesus. And, and as we do that well, as we begin to follow Jesus well, we begin to find strength in that. We find purpose in that. As we continue to read through Matthew, there's this purpose that they're given. And I think that is, you know, the kingdom of heaven and, and calling really people key, yeah. to that. But so often we, we're, we're not just living distracted, but we're living without purpose or what I might call telos, like an end in mind, this goal. But Jesus has an end in mind. He has a purpose, and he's calling people to that purpose. Yeah, because repentance is not even an end in itself. It's always right because the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, right. which isn't primarily a threat, although that's implied. Right? right? You might want to repent now because it's coming. But the point is not just a threat. The point is invitation. It's right. this new thing is happening. Do you want to be part of it? Right. You know, or are you or are you gonna you gonna miss it? Right. right. This is this is this new thing. This is a new purpose. A tel- that's, the new telos. That's yeah. the paradigm shift. Is yeah. from repentance focused on sin to repentance focused on the kingdom of heaven. Yes. And not to say that the sin is or the distraction is irrelevant. I think it does matter. But I think the focus should be on the kingdom of heaven. I think that's what Matthew does. I think that's what the prophets do time and time again is reminding those in exile, like, hey, this is this is what God has called us to. This is the people he wants us to be. And we can do that in exile right here. We can remember the truth of who God is and we can be the people of God here in exile. I think Jesus is doing something very similar saying, hey, we are called to be this. Let's do this. Let's be this type of people and let's go in this way. So yeah, a, a kingdom of heaven focused repentance. Yeah. Not imagining that the kingdom is somewhere else. Mm-hmm. While we're in exile, so just get right. on with life. It's mm-hmm. no, the kingdom is drawn near. You can't see it yet, although it's got signs. Right. Jesus himself is performing those signs at the end of the story when it says he's doing all this healing, right? Sure. Turn around and follow me. Yeah. And I guess one last thing. Go ahead. I mean, just that the news of the kingdom is good news. And I think that is something that we miss often as followers of Jesus, unfortunately. It's not hard to share good news. Mm. It, it, when you hear of a good deal, whether it's something on Amazon or it's something at Culver's, buy one, get one free. You it, tell it, somebody about it. You tell people yeah. good news 
all the time. That's what social media is. You share, you comment, you like, you, you post good news. I think the failure and the unfortunate thing is we unfortunately don't see the gospel as good mm. news. Yeah. And it is good news. Yeah, and, and we hear repent as all sorrow. We hear kingdom of God as threat. We hear, oh, you're taking away my stuff when they drop those nets. But maybe they left immediately because this was good news. It was good this, news. I want to follow this guy. Right. He's up to something exciting. Right. This is worth trading away what's familiar. Right. It'll cost you everything you'll never need. It's, <laughs> it's good news. Like, I want this. I desire it. And that's when I think preaching is powerful, when you can testify to that good news. It has been good news in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and God's way is the best way. When you can proclaim that truth, and when you're convinced of that reality, that the gospel is good news, that the kingdom of heaven is good news, I think you'll start to see people... I, I, that's when we begin, we begin to be, you know, fishers of men. <laughs> yeah. Good news. Hey, that is good news. Well, Hey, thanks so much for taking the time. This I was really it. great. That's I was great. a blast talking scripture <laughs> with you. Thanks so much uh, to uh, Todd and Eric as well for their production work. Can't imagine doing the show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music and thanks to all our listeners and especially our supporters. If you'd like to support us, go to patreoncom slash fresh text and find ways that you can support the show to help out the editorial staff behind uh, the scenes. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.